You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to BGN Radio. Why would you listen to any other Eagles <laughs> podcast? With John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gowden. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to BGN Radio. This is episode number 50. I'm John Stolnitz from BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnitz. Coming up, we're going to talk about the draft, uh, what the Eagles did uh, last week uh, with their selections and kind of how it fits into 2019 and beyond. Obviously, some ripple effects from what the Eagles did at the draft. Now, we're going to talk about what some of the other teams in the NFC East did. Get a look at what the Giants, the Redskins, and the Cowboys did and uh, what we think of their drafts. We'll look at some of the undrafted free agent signings the Eagles have made. We'll talk a little Chris Long, Carson Wentz's fifth-year options, and then uh, an important date coming up on the NFL calendar and what we have coming up ahead over the next uh, few weeks or so here on uh, the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. And joining me as he does every week to chat about Eagles football is the brains behind BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Galton. Brandon Lee Galton, BLG, how you doing, my friend? John, doing well. Nice to have you back. One week removed from the Eagles draft. One of the more stressful times of the year for, obviously, us as a whole, Bleeding Green Nation. So nice that that's in the rearview mirror. Nice that the Eagles have their picks made. And we have a lot to talk about here. Also, of course, have the Sixers game on in the background here. So if I freak out, <laughs> I apologize in advance to everyone. Obviously, you're hearing this now, knowing the result of this game. Hopefully, it's a Sixers win. Giving you a warning straight up. Yeah, as we record this, it's pretty tight. They just wrapped up the third quarter, Sixers up by eight. So <laughs> it's not a Sixers podcast. You want to make sure to check out the Step Over, uh, which is uh, our SB Nation uh, Sixers uh, blog and podcast feed, and uh, give those guys a follow. Max and Jim do a good job with that show as well. But yeah, that's uh, certainly uh, top of mind of uh, most Philadelphia sports fans. But we're also still digesting BLG, the NFL draft from last week. And obviously, we've had some we've had a few days to take a look at what the Eagles did and take a look at uh, what some of the teams in the division did. And we're going to sprinkle in some Twitter questions. We'll do kind of a, a pseudo mailbag this week as well. Uh, we had some Twitter questions uh, and a lot of it's going to have to do with stuff that we were going to talk about. So we'll sprinkle those into the mix as we chat here over the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour or so. BLG, now as we sit here uh, a few days after the completion of the draft and um, with kind of the, the slow part of the offseason in in front of us, uh, we look at the, the first-round selection of Andre Dillard. Uh, we look at you know some of the other uh, uh, picks made in the in the second round, Miles Sanders, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. You know, we see some of the different picks that were made on the third day also. Starting with the first-round pick, Andre Dillard, uh, how, how surprised were you? It seems like everybody was surprised that the Eagles even had a shot to land this guy. Would you rather ha- they have gone with a defensive lineman or or a wide receiver like Hollywood Brown, one of the guys that we had been talking about, or or did they make the right call here with Andre Dillard? Well, it was interesting, John, because we had heard the rumors about the Eagles trying to trade up up to number thirteen, and Solak did a good job of kind of explaining what the whole situation was that on the most recent Kisten Solak episode and. If I heard him right, I believe he said that, you know, the Eagles kind of had a deal in place there, but, um, you know, there was some dynamics changing in terms of the Steelers trading up to 10, and then the price had been lowered for the Eagles standards because they felt like they shouldn't have to give up as much as they did, knowing that that was kind of the, the market that was set by the Steelers. Obviously, the Dolphins disagreed, and they wanted the original price, so it didn't work out, and the Dolphins ended up taking Christian Wilkins. You know, if the Eagles traded up and got Christian Wilkins, like, to me, that would have been perfect. Like, I really wanted him. Obviously, he was my pick for the BGN mock. Now, again, that was at number 25 as opposed to trading right. up to 13 to get him. So not the same situation exactly. But, you know, I would have been really happy to have had him uh, for a number of reasons. I just think he checked a lot of boxes. But it's not like I'm devastated, you know, that the Eagles didn't get yeah. him because you know, giving up that much is a lot. And I think to give up that much as they did, uh, a first a fourth and a sixth to move up to 22 and get a franchise left tackle 
whatever you want to call that. It's kind of a funny term. Um, I don't, I don't really love that term. I feel like we use that term a lot. It's just kind of weird to me. It's like, I've almost found myself like correcting myself. Like, no, it's franchise quarterback. And it's just like, it's starting. Left <laughs> I get the idea. Anyway, uh, splitting hairs well, it's, aside it there. Speaks to the, it speaks to the importance of the position, BLG. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I does. think the, the left tackle is, is such a hugely important part of an offense, especially if you have a guy who you can depend on and, and know that he's your starter for five to seven years. And the just the longevity, too. You know, and, and the fact that the Eagles have gone from Trey Thomas, you know, friend of BGN Radio, obviously, uh, to Jason Peter, you know, Trey Thomas being a, an all-pro player, very good player. Um, for years, and then you go to Jason Peters, future Hall of Famer, to now Andre Dillard, who, you know, he has his whole career in front of him, and I think there are definitely things that, you know, like, I don't think he's this instant stud, necessarily, right away. I think, you know, spending time with Jeff Stoutline, spending time with Jason Peters himself, will ultimately make him a better player. That's part of why I like the pick, too, is that you're not, like, I don't love the idea of just taking a tackle in the draft, and immediately sticking him at Carson Wentz's blind side. Like, I just, that's not the ideal situation for me. To me, it'd be ideal to kind of bring him along a little bit slowly. So there's just not this immediate pressure for him to be the savior. And, you know, if that he messes up, like, it's a very costly mistake because it could end up in the franchise quarterback getting hurt. So, you know, I like that the pressure is off of Dillard in that regard. He hopefully can kind of come in here and kind of work on his body, you know, get stronger, be in an NFL program and work on his technique all the finer points in his game so i like to pick a lot in that regard you know it's not going to be exciting in the sense of like you know you, you draft hollywood brown you're thinking about all those touchdowns he's going to score and how he's going to stretch the field like yeah you know left tackle doesn't like do that for a lot of people and understandably so i mean obviously there's big offensive lineman fans out there who will get excited about that but it's different. To me, the luxury of being able to kind of like set it and forget it is what makes the, that pick great. And really, if the Dillard pick hits, like that's what makes or breaks this draft class. You know, obviously there's other important factors to this class, especially the Miles Sanders pick, I think. But if every other pick fails and Dillard hits, I mean, it's it's a win. No, absolutely. And that's generally, I think, speaking the case for a lot of your first round picks. If you If you nail your first round pick, Hopefully you're getting an all-pro player. Hopefully you're getting a pro bowler. That's why these first-round picks are, are, are so important. And if you get yourself, and you said you didn't like the term, but we'll just use it here for the lack of a better term to use, a franchise left tackle, a guy who's going to be like Jason Peters or like Trey Thomas bef before him, then you've absolutely won your draft. Now that's the question, though, I think, and that's what uh, I know Kisten Solak were talking about, Ben, more specifically than, than Michael in the, in the latest episode, was can he develop, can Jeff Stoutland develop him to the point where he is that type of tackle and as we go into 2019 here we get ready to play the 2019 season we enter the summer we're going to get into mini camps and all that obviously this is a team that is a Super Bowl contender at least on paper and you're basically not going to use this guy here in 2019 at all he's he's going to be riding the bench but it also kind of raises some questions about some of the other players you have on the offensive line what does this mean for Jordan Mailata I mean I think this is a question that I, should, I wouldn't be spending necessarily a ton of time thinking about because when you think about it Jordan Mailata is a seventh round pick he, he does have some unbelievable physical skills and everything you read last year was that he came along pretty well but obviously when, a, when an opportunity arises like this to get a potential franchise left tackle you can't really worry about what that's going to mean for for Jordan Mailata and hoping that you you hit the lottery with that particular seventh round pick yeah leading into the draft I had said I think I've said it many times now that you need to treat Jordan Mailata you know like a 20 dollar bill that's in your back pocket that you don't know you have like you know you don't go out to dinner trying to pay with that 20 dollar bill that you don't know that you have in your pocket but if you happen to find it and you can use it to help pay for your dinner. Great. That's awesome. I, I think it's kind of interesting, the reaction that I saw after the Dillard pick was made. And some people were like, well, there goes Jordan Mailata's career. And I'm like, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think something that people are missing is that, you know, Big V could get traded as soon as tomorrow. Like, he could get traded this offseason very easily. The Eagles would save about $2 million in cap space, and they would get, uh, I don't know what they would get exactly. You know, I don't know 
perfectly what his market is, but I think there could be a market out there for him. You know, let's say a team loses their starting offensive tackle to injury this offseason and suddenly needs a guy to fill in. The Eagles can easily make a sell that, hey, this is a guy who helped us win a Super Bowl and has plenty of starting experience. So it's not like he's just some, you know, Joe Schmo off the street. You know, this guy has played before. And honestly, he's played bad at times. But, you know, maybe, (laughs) again, the Eagles can kind of try to sell them otherwise. And really, when you're talking about Big V's value, I'll get into that a little bit. I think that Big V's going to be a free agent after this year. So you don't just trade him for anything because, you know, he could easily sign a pretty decent deal in free agency for some team that's desperate enough out there to give him money to play tackle for them. So you don't just trade him to, to get rid of him for anything. I would think you need at least a fifth for him if you're the Eagles giving up on him. And I think the Eagles sell is that he's worth a third or a fourth because they're like, hey, we took this guy in the fifth round. So that's kind of the baseline of what he's worth. And he has exceeded expectations for a fifth round pick. He helped. He was starting for us when we made a Super Bowl run. So he's at worth at least, I think the Eagles will push for a third. And I think they would easily compromise for a fourth there. So if you could get some kind of pick like that for him, that would be great. And if that's the case, if Big V's gone this year or next year, either way, because it's probably going to be one of the two, I don't think they're re-signing him. Um, I think the Eagles would have loved to re-sign Big V to like a below market contract. And I think he was like, no, <laughs> he knows that he yeah. might be able to yeah. get some money in free agency. So uh, I just think there's kind of an impasse there. Ultimately, if that's the case, I mean, Jordan Mailata is suddenly like still a pretty valuable player. Like he's not a starter. Yeah. But if he can be your swing tackle, I mean, that's huge because think about it. If we're just talking about this year, Jason Peters, we we all know he's struggled to get through games healthy. Andre Dillard potentially comes in, assuming, you know, Big V is off the roster, or maybe he's still on the roster. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Jordan Mailata is not that far away from playing still. Or even, you know, again, Lane Johnson, we say it all the time, he's one PED failed test away from being suspended for 32 games. Like, that's crazy. You know, like, that's really yeah, that's living crazy. life on the edge there. That's a huge deal. I mean, hopefully it doesn't happen. I'm assuming it won't, but I'm, like, it could. So the fact that you have, you know, my lot on the roster still in case an emergency like that happens, like, there's value in that. Like, I don't, it feels like some people are just media wise even have kind of just like written off my lot, but I don't think that's the case. I, I think it's clear that. The Eagles aren't counting on him developing into this full-time starter, which is, I, I think, smart. But, you know, it, it's kind of a allows you to hedge your bets. Let's say the Dillard pick doesn't work out. I mean, you still have Mylotta here. Maybe he develops into something. That's not the most likely outcome, but you have it as a backup plan. Or you have Mylotta as your swing tackle. And I, I think there's a lot of value in that. So, to me, I'm not writing off Jordan Mylotta just yet by any means. With their uh, second round picks here, BLG, uh, they got Miles Sanders, the running back from Penn State, and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford. Talk about Miles Sanders first, because we had thought that the Eagles might spend an early pick on running back, and they did. And it's kind of funny. Their first two picks were, I think, when we did our priorities podcast a couple of weeks ago, those were like the two priorities. My top two priorities were finding an offensive tackle to replace Jason Peters. Like, I, I was all for them spending a first-round pick on a guy that wouldn't play next year if it meant finding a guy that you felt reasonably sure would be your next left tackle of the future. And also, I think we know we both, I think we had it in different priorities, but we both had near the top of our priority list getting a running back in this draft that could be a pass-catching back out of the backfield. And uh, Miles Sanders, it seems to me, BLG, is, is going to play that kind of a role. He, he has a lot of running experience. Um, he sat behind Saquon Barkley for most of his uh, college career, but last year uh, ran the ball really well and showed he could catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, what kind of a role do you think he's going to have in this offense? Is he going to be the Darren Sproles? Is he going to be the Corey Clement? Is Corey Clement going to be back? I'm trying to figure out exactly how much how much run Sanders is going to get as a rookie in this offense. Yeah, that's the question that I think a lot of people have different opinions on or and are thinking about because you know, the Eagles trade for Jordan Howard. You know, everyone's like, oh, he's the lead back. And I still think he could potentially be that guy in the sense of at least early in the season, for sure. I mean, they're going to give like Jordan Howard isn't just some schlub. You know what I mean? They're, this isn't some guy that they got. And it's like he's a fringe player. I mean, again, as much as you or as much as even I don't put all this value into volume stats, I think that has that gains Jordan Howard some cachet in the locker room and the coaching staff and around the league. And I think that's important. So I don't think Jordan Howard, you know, is here just to be chopped liver. 
I think Miles Sanders, too, isn't a finished product by any means. I mean, he just turned 22. He has issues in pass protection. Obviously, his college workload suggests that he's not very polished. You know, it's not like he had this huge track record in college. That's, I guess, a little bit part of the thing why I think not just me, but some people in general, like Kisten Solak, are hesitant on the Sanders pick. It's not that the upside isn't there. I do think the upside is there. And that's why I'm intrigued by Miles Sanders. And that's why I can't wait to watch him this year. I am very excited to be watching Miles Sanders play for this Eagles offense. I think where the concern comes in, is he going to reach his ceiling? Just because we're all excited about him and we hope that happens, you know, doesn't guarantee it will. I think that's the question with Miles Sanders. Is he able to fulfill his potential? Like That's the thing that I'm waiting to see. I need to see him prove that. Again, there's hope to believe that can happen. Yes. But, I mean, he has to deliver, and he has to prove himself. So I think when you're looking at the Eagles running back rotation, I mean, I just don't automatically assume, you know, Miles Sanders is going to be this 20 touch per game or 20 carry per game guy right out of the gate. I just don't. like that. First no. of all, it's just not really how the Eagles running back rotation works, um, as we've seen during the Doug Peterson era. Don't think that's realistic from the jump. But maybe I'm wrong. You know, I, I think Miles Sanders has the potential to make me look stupid right now. And I think he could come out and I think he could kill it. And he could look like kind of LaShawn McCoy as a rookie mm-hmm. and kind of just look like ready for a bigger role than anyone thought he would. I think that's possible. I just also think it's possible that he could take a little bit longer than expected. Um, He's going to get playing time. Obviously, it's not like he's going to be riding the bench. But I just don't write his name in pen for this huge role right out of the gate as a rookie. I just think it's going to be he's going to be part of the rotation. He'll get some significant playing time. He could end up being really good but uh, I just think he has some things to work on I think he again has potential it's just a matter of if he's going to reach it at Penn State backing up Saquon Barkley for most of his college career really only being the starter for one season I think that's kind of a double-edged sword BLG in that yeah he has less wear and tear on him there's a, there's more tread mm-hmm. on the tires so and in, in that way it's good also I think there's some untapped uh, potential there because we haven't he hasn't played a whole lot so there's there's not a lot of tape so you, you wonder you wonder if had he started his sophomore year by his senior season would he have been a more established runner or established receiver out of the backfield or something like that so in that way you're kind of looking at an unfinished product almost and wondering whether or not there's more there but on the other hand not having as much tape means you don't know exactly what you're going to get in, uh, with, with with this guy and I think he's going to be like we saw them you know use uh, uh, Ajayi and, and Blunt and Clement a few years ago I think that that's the that's the goal is to use Jordan Howard in, in, in a lot of the same ways that they use LeGarrette Blunt and then to use Miles Sanders and uh and Corey Clement in much the same way that they did Ajayi and Clement in 2017. My guess is that's the goal. And, um, I, you know, we both knew that they needed to add some some youth in the backfield and, and get some get some big play ability going from the backfield again because I don't think that big play ability is going to come from Jordan Howard. Maybe Corey Clement brings it back. But that was an element to the offense from 2017 that was missing last year is a running back who can break a big play. That didn't happen at all last year, but it happened a lot in 2017. And really, unless, again, Clement rebounds, Miles Sanders is probably going to have to be that guy because it's not going to be Jordan Howard. And not even just the running backs, like the offense as a whole. Again, we complained about that and we, we've talked about it on the pod like just incessantly. It's, it's, it's one of the biggest things we talk about, just the yeah. lack of playmakers. And that was one of the things, I guess, that kind of a little bit frustrated still coming out of the draft. Like I think Sanders has the potential to be one of those guys. And I think J.J. Arcega-Whiteside has the potential to be really good. But it's just like, okay, who's still your guy who's getting, you know, making these big plays happen with the ball in his hands? If Deshaun gets hurt, you know, which he has, you know, pretty much every season, he hasn't missed significant time over the seasons. But, you know, you just can't count on him necessarily to be there for you every game. And then even within the season, even if he's healthy, there's going to be games where he's going to have quiet games. That's just Deshaun. So who was who my playmaking guy? Who was my go-to guy that, you know, I'm not just going to to move the chains like Zach Ertz or, you know, an Alshon, what J.J. might end up being. Like, who's the guy who I might need to throw to short of the sticks sometimes, and he's going to make some guys miss, and he's going to break, break off a big play. Or, you know, he's going to turn what most running backs might be, like a six-yard gain into a 26-yard gain. So hopefully Sanders can kind of yeah. bring that dynamic element to this offense. I think the Ajayi comparison is probably good in terms of role 
for this team. I've been getting some crap on Twitter and elsewhere for people thinking I said that Miles Sanders is Wendell Smallwood. That's not what I said. I'm just saying (laughs) there are some of the same issues in terms of pass protection and ball security that remind me of some of the flaws of Wendell Smallwood. Miles Sanders is obviously a very much more talented player than Wendell Smallwood is. But I'm just saying I don't think he's a finished product and I don't think he's like a no doubt about it player. There's potential there. Just got to see him prove it. And you mentioned J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, uh, the second of their two second-round picks, uh, compared to, uh, a lot to Alshon, kind of a player, a guy who doesn't get a lot of separation but wins a lot of contested balls, not a burner. Um, a good value for the pick, according to PFF. They had him at 23 on their board, and he went to pick 57 to the Eagles. But with their first three picks, the Eagles all went offense, which is, I don't think, something that we were expecting uh, there, BLG. But I think for the value there, where they got him, J.J. seems like a good player. It's just like you said, uh, he's not he's not a field stretcher he's not a guy who's gonna who you're gonna send deep and you you hope that he's a guy who can break some tackles but again it seems like he's a guy that you can throw the ball to in traffic and he'll come down with it and make some big plays in the red zone but as far as you know getting you big chunks of yardage that might not be his game it's interesting because like he has a high yards per reception average in college and michael kiss has done a great job of breaking down what i guess i'm going to be calling him sega maybe i've seen that that's i think that's a pretty good nickname for jj or j john i think was another one right there we have to figure that out by the way like there's just too many nicknames. I've seen <laughs> yeah. uh, his college teammates called him Cuervo because his, his one of his um, one of those J's stands for Jose. I've also seen him called Spider apparently in Stanford. Okay. He was called Jaws there, but again, we can't. We just that's not an option. We, we can't call a player Jaws. Like there already is a Jaws. You can't. That's too confusing. Yeah, you can't have another eagle nicknamed Jaws. That's not going to work. Yeah, it's just not going to work. Oh my god. So Embiid just had a huge dunk, and I'm just I'm just losing it right now. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, they're going up big. The Sixers yeah. are up big. <laughs> this, this is, is awesome. Um, yeah, back to JJ. I just think he's kind of an interesting player. Like I don't think there are a ton of his kind of mold of players, guys who are just so dominant at the catch point like he is, like guys who can just really just go up there and get that. And, you know, going back to like when T.O. was on the team, which really was like kind of my experience getting into the Eagles and a big part of why like I was getting so excited about them and more into them than ever when I was a kid. I love that idea of like we have this guy in Terrell Owens who like even if he's covered, you know, even if they play the perfect defense, it doesn't matter because you just go you just throw the ball up to him and he's going to get it. And I, I like that idea. I like yeah. that idea. I just, you know, I'm, I'm wondering how it translates to the NFL. And I think it could because he's strong. He's big. He just seems to have like a knack for that play. Everyone obviously talks about like the basketball background with him. And that makes sense. You see it. Like I used to play basketball. He, <laughs> not that makes me the super expert, but I'm just saying like I can I'll see. Say, really you? I mean, you're, you're, you're not a big guy, BLG. Yeah, shocking, right? <laughs> um, but I can just tell, like, you know, he's, like, fundamentally boxing people out. Like, you do when like, someone shoots and you need to, you know, turn and get your body on someone to get a rebound. You definitely see that skill in there, and that's good to see. And it could be really fun because if you have J.J. and Ertz and Goddard and Alshon all in the end zone together, like, all, like, all in your red zone package, I mean, that's just crazy. Like, Carson, just throw it up, and someone's going to go get it. I just love that. I love plays that- like that. That where like it just doesn't even matter if the if the defender plays it perfectly because your guy is just bigger and he went up there and got the ball. So I I do like that and I hope it translates. All right, looking at the the second day picks real quick, BLG, and then we'll get into real quick. We'll look at some of the uh, the drafts that the teams in the division had on the third day. The Eagles made three picks: uh, fourth rounder Sharif Miller, defensive end of Penn State. Clayton Thorson, uh, looks like they did draft a developmental quarterback that I know people are pretty mixed on. And then defensive tackle Hassan Ridgeway, uh, very late in the draft. Looking at Sharif Miller, um, how does he work into this defensive line rotation? I mean, I think that we all knew that they needed to get some young blood on that defensive line, but I think we also thought that they would spend either their first or one of their two second round picks on an edge rusher or a defensive tackle, and they didn't get anything until the fourth round. Yeah, it's interesting, John, because... This is obviously a historically good, that's what, you know, how it has been called it, draft class in terms of defensive linemen. And even the safety talent was really good. And the Eagles didn't really get anything like dominant at either. They didn't get a safety at all. And they got a defensive lineman who's more of a, he's like a developmental guy, somewhat of a project in Sharif Miller. You're not counting on big contributions from year one, I think, at all, really. I don't think he's going to make much of an impact. I think, you know, at most, he's some kind of, you know, he's, he's in a rotation and he's not getting a, a ton of, of snaps. He's not making this huge impact. 
barring you know something unlikely, I just think the most likely projection is he doesn't have a huge role as a rookie. And it's interesting because I guess this brings up you know the bigger conversation with Chris Long and what's happening with his future. You know, we've seen Chris Long talk about how he told the Eagles to plan as if he's not going to be back, and it seems like they are very much doing that. And now it should be noted that they pushed his roster bonus back to pretty much like the beginning of training camp. So there's kind of more time here to kind of for both sides, I guess, to kind of figure out, you know, like for the Eagles to prepare to not have him more and for Chris Long to make the decision if he's going to come back or not. I mean, to me, just like going through Chris Long's Twitter, uh, you know, he pretty much said that like the Eagles told him he's not going to have the same role that he would have had last year. It's not even that he wants a bigger role. It's just that he wants the same role he's had. And he's he said he was explicitly told that he's not going to have that role. Um, so I just don't see what's going to change there. Now, you know, God forbid there's an injury or something. I like maybe that changes and hopefully it doesn't happen. But I'm saying like if there was something where the Eagles really needed him and that opened up, I guess that's kind of why the door is still open. But I just don't expect Chris Long to be back right now, which is kind of a bummer. And it kind of leaves the Eagles pretty light here in some ways at defensive end. I mean, obviously they have the top talent in Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett, huge year for him going into year three. And you brought back Vinnie Curry, which is a nice move on the one year deal. You know, but after that, what do you have? You have Josh Sweat, who like we don't know what he is. He didn't really show much at all as a rookie, and he has the injury concerns. Uh, Deshaun Hall thought flashed in limited playing time last year, but he could be a fringe player. You know, Joe Osman got a lot of praise for doing well in the practice squad, but I don't really know if he has an NFL body and he is an NFL player as much as he is a, a really good practice guy, practice squad guy to have around. And I think Sharif you know, isn't this guy you want to have playing a ton of snaps in a rotation like the Eagles usually like to have with their defensive end. So I would like for them to still do something almost at defensive end if they know Chris Long really isn't going to be back. Well, before we uh, get into the uh, rest of the NFC East, we're going to step away, take a quick break. But when we come back, uh, we're going to take a look at what the Giants, Redskins and Cowboys did. Take a look at some of the undrafted free agents and get into some non-draft stuff as well. That's all up next here on BGN Radio. And we're back on BGN Radio. So, uh, BLG, before we uh, wrap up uh, our conversation about the Eagles draft, um, I, it's generally speaking unfair to assign a grade to a draft literally the days after it happened because we don't know how any of these guys are going to perform. But I think you can I think you can grade how they did based on the needs at different positions and the value, the relative value of what it is uh, that they were getting. And again, the Eagles, again, only had five draft picks this year. They, they have not exactly been piling up the draft picks, which is why one of the issues we're going to talk about here in a few minutes uh, about uh, some of these uh, conditional draft picks next year are so important. They have been light on draft picks these last couple of years. But it, it, given what the Eagles did and that the fact that they did have a first and two second round picks, so they hopefully got three very good players who will be big contributors to this team over the next couple of years. What grade do you give Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas for their draft this year? When I was on the mic, we were talking about it, and I gave him a B. And after thinking about it more, I'm going to keep it a B. <laughs> I'm not going to change it. I think it's a B. And that might be a little, uh, I don't know if it's super generous. I think I'm trying to be a tough grader with it. So maybe it's generous in that sense if I'm trying to be really tough on them. The things I don't like are that you know, it's another year where they only got five players. You know, that's just not that's not sustainable over the long term. Like that, this better be the yeah. last year they're only picking five players because they need to restock this roster. I mean, the freaking owner said it at the NFL owners meetings. He said, "Look, you know, we believe in drafting in volume." And like that's not a smokescreen, or and if it is, it's a bad one in the sense of it's concerning because the Eagles need to believe that they aren't good enough to beat the draft. Like no team really in the long run is significantly better at drafting than other teams. And if they are, a lot of it's like luck. It's not just like a skill purely. So there's a lot of luck involved. And the way to kind of maximize your odds is to get a lot of draft picks. And that's what a team like the Patriots does. You know, that's why they're always trading down and they're getting more draft picks because they're trying to get more dart throws at the dartboard. And for the Eagles that only have 10 picks, which is tied for the fewest amount in these past two years, the Titans also had 10 in these past two years. Like it's, it's just not good enough. It's not necessarily even like a criticism of anything the Eagles specifically did as much as just like a general philosophy that needs to change. And I'm sure they get this. And I'm sure like, you know, me saying this on a podcast is not going to be the revelation <laughs> for them. But I'm just saying like, you know, for analyzing this, like I think it's just it's fair to say that like they need to do a better job there in terms of volume. Um, they need to do a better job, I think. 
I, I guess just what's disappointing, again, going back to that thing, this was a, a draft class loaded with defensive line talent and a lot of really good safety talent too. And they didn't really get either unless, you know, Sharif Miller is going to develop into being really good. So that's just kind of another thing I would kind of ding against them. And it's not like I wanted them to go all in on the defense. I am fine with them weighing the offense more. Totally fine with that. Build around Carson Wentz. You know, you're paying him or you're going to be paying him a ton of money because he is going to be the guy who moves the needle for this team. Like This team especially when Nick Foles gone, is going to go as far as Carson Wentz takes them. So give him everything he needs to get that done. That is totally fine with me, philosophy-wise. So, again, part of why I knock it down is just I felt like this is a draft they really had to get right. Like They really had to hit a home run, and I don't think they did that. I think they got a double, maybe, um, but I don't think they hit the home run. And that's just, it's kind of disappointing when you think about it in that context. Like I was holding them to high standards to begin with, just because I think it was really important for them. And they didn't really meet that as a whole. Now, if you have this Andre Dillard pick and he hits, he he makes that draft class. He really does. So that would be huge. And I think there's upside again with Miles Sanders. I think I'm intrigued by J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Sharif Miller will see. Clayton Thorson, I have no expectations for. I think that was just a bad pick in terms of process. And this, you look at his profile. I mean, like guys who struggle in college, according to you know the study that SB Nation's Bill Connolly did, like they never get better in the NFL, yeah. almost never. Yeah. And in terms of like their efficiency and everything, and Thorson wasn't just like mediocre; he was horrible. You can tell. You can tell me like he had terrible talent around him at Northwestern, and okay, fine. And maybe he's the exception to the rule. Maybe you're not betting on good odds there. So I, I just I don't love that. And uh, it's just kind of a b- bummer in that regard. So I can't give him that A. You know, I, I think it's a B, and I, I, I'll stick with the B. I think it's a B. All right, and I, I agree with that. I think I, I can't really give him anything lower than a B, considering they did pretty much what I wanted them to do as far as priorities go. They got that, what I hope will be their left tackle of the future. And you're right, the draft really depends on, it really depends on Dillard and his development, but um, also upgrading at running back. And they had to get the wide receiver. Uh, they they had to get J.J. where they got him, uh, given that he had fallen there. But it does feel a little bit like a missed opportunity not to improve the defensive line and safety, given that the draft was so strong at those positions. But let's look at the rest of the uh, the NFC East. And uh, we'll start off with the Giants here, BLG. And, you know, I think everybody in football is just wondering what the hell Gettleman is doing in, in New York. It's really it's hard to understand what the plan has been, but perhaps that's the bigger point, BLG, is there doesn't really seem to be a plan. Taking a second-round quarterback, Daniel Jones at number six overall, drafting a pretty good defensive tackle in Dexter Lawrence, but after you've already traded away all your edge rushers and then taking another uh, a cornerback at, at number 30, getting having three first-round picks and finding a way to mess them up, BLG. I hated the Giants draft, and I'm not alone. What do you think? Yeah, you, you hate to see it, really. You really do It's just, hate it to broke see. my heart, man. It's a tough scene. I, here's what gets me. There, last year, there were people who were like, oh, man, the Giants taking Saquon Barkley at number two is, like, so smart. These quarterbacks aren't good. Like, Sam Darnold, no one, none of these quarterbacks are even good. They got the best player in the draft. Are, are, you, are those people still out there? Are you really thinking that I'm Dave Gettleman is smart and is actually doing good things? Yeah, I don't think we are hearing that. Because uh, he's not. He's dumb. And to take Daniel Jones... I don't like the criticism like that he would have been there later. Like I don't love that talk because if he's your guy, get him. Like I don't, you don't want to wait and mess around. Like yeah, maybe he would have been available later. But if you believe in him, get him. So like it's not that I hate that so much. Like that theory, it's just that I think they're clearly to me betting on the wrong guy. Again, we talked about Clayton Thorson having bad numbers. Daniel Jones also not very good. Just to bet on him, it's just everything about that organization is just so uninspiring. You have. Dave Gettleman, who clearly just looks out of his element. He has no idea what he's doing. I don't think the Giants are going to be bad enough to where they're going to like accidentally tank their way into being good. Like I think some of these moves they're making, like signing Golden Tate or drafting Dexter Lawrence, who I think is a good player, they're going to make the, the Giants good enough that they're not going to be able to get these top picks and not actually good enough to make the playoffs, in my opinion. So that's kind of what you want as an Eagles fan. You want the Giants not to be horrible. You want them to be mediocre. So I think that's what they're kind of building there. Uh, So Gettleman, very uninspiring. Pat Shermer, uh, just the least inspiring head coach, like or one of the least inspiring coaches (laughs) I've ever been around. Just there's no energy there. Like there's like you're going to battle for Pat Shermer, really? I just don't see it at all. (laughs) And um, Daniel Jones, one of the least inspiring quarterbacks probably there is. And I think this hasn't been covered enough, John. The Giants took Daniel Jones, not because they loved him, 
the most, and or maybe they did, but to me, the number one reason the Giants took Daniel Jones is so that they wouldn't hurt Eli Manning's feelings to replace him. Because, you know, Daniel Jones wow. had the same college coach that Eli Manning did, David Cutliffe, and like that's that's where this thing comes from. It was about a relationship. Well, it wasn't even just about getting the best quarterback or the best player. It was about a relationship. And even if you can try to convince me otherwise, that relationship that relationship aspect is still part of it. And to me, that's how I see it. They were just trying not to hurt Eli Manning's feelings, which is just pathetic. Well, and Gettleman even said that we could be looking at a situation where Daniel Jones sits for two or three years, like a, like Aaron Rodgers <laughs> did. But you you spent the number six pick in the draft on this guy. You're going to sit him for three years? That's that's, that's by the way, to, yeah. to add on to that whole sitting point, I didn't even realize this. I saw this uh, credit to good friend at by underscore JBH on Twitter. Um, Jason, he pointed out that when the Eagles or sorry, when the Packers did that with Rodgers, I think they like signed him to a seven year deal as a rookie because like you could actually do that back then with the CBA. So sitting him for three years wasn't even a big deal. Right. He still had four years left in his contract. That's not how it works now. They sit him no. for three years, which we don't know if that's going to happen. He could have just been talking. But if it does. Then he only has one really one really year left on his deal after that, and then the fifth year option. So that would be insane. Yeah, no good good thinking there by the Giants front office. It's just like you said, you hate to see it. Uh, looking at Washington, however, I really like their draft. BLG, I I think frankly, I mean Dwayne Haskins, I think has the potential to be a really good quarterback, way better than Daniel Jones. And he, you know, the Redskins get him nine picks after Jones went at number six overall. It's just, I mean, if you, if the Giants are going to pick a quarterback, why are they not getting? Why did they not pick Dwayne Haskins over Daniel Jones? Well, you just said it. They didn't want to hurt Eli Manning's feelings, so they they just handed a better quarterback to the Washington Redskins. Montez Sweat was a guy at twenty six. Uh, the Eagles had been mocked too, and if they had stayed put at twenty five, they could have uh, had the edge rusher from Mississippi State. Uh, but I, I like I liked Washington's draft. It seems like they did a pretty good job filling some needs and getting some impact players for this year and beyond. BLG. Yeah, I think Washington. As much as I hate to say it, I actually hate to say it. Not ironically, hate to say it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think they did a good job. In this year's draft, I don't know what Haskins is going to be completely. I don't really have a good feel for that. I think he is upside, which is what Washington needs, you know, given their very dire quarterback situation otherwise coming into the draft. The hope is there. The upside is there. I think that's nice. But I don't think he's like a bona fide stud as in, you know, like like Baker Mayfield was for obviously for the Browns last year. Like, I don't think he's necessarily going to be that guy. I think it could take time with Dwayne Haskins. So um, he could be good. I don't know really that he's elite in any way. I think he could just be a good quarterback for Washington, which is an upgrade considering they don't have much at that position otherwise right now. So that's yeah. obviously the big one for them. And again, to get him at 15 was great. Like they didn't have to move up really. You know, they saved the picks they had, you could have used to move up to actually get Montez Sweat, who I think is again, a really good pick for them talent wise. Now I think there's a reason Sweat fell as far as he did and I don't think it was just because of the whole heart thing that was being talked about which apparently wasn't even a real issue there was some character stuff there that I think will be interesting to see if it bears out and that's something that'll be interesting to see with the Washington's roster as a whole because they've been taking a lot of chances on character guys you look at Reuben Foster you look at Geis who had right. some of those you know concerns that were talked about last year and why the Eagles ultimately passed on him so there are some interesting things to that. You know, you you look, you can take that risk. You can you can um, you know, take a chance on a guy with those kind of concerns and it might work out great. Uh, it could also end up with a situation like the Chiefs are dealing now and I'm not comparing to anything obviously what with what Tyreek Hill allegedly did. I'm just saying like, you know, that's the kind of risk you take. Like sometimes it works out great and the concerns don't end up being an issue at all, but sometimes they end up being a huge issue. So I just kind of, you know, that's something to circle in the future. And another thing is, like, there's a lot of guys who get hype each year leading into the NFL draft by like draft Twitter, draft media as a whole. And it almost feels like Washington, like, took all of those guys. And <laughs> maybe that works out for them. But also maybe kind of the public doesn't always know what they're talking about. And just another kind of thing to think about overall. But I think they did a good job for the most part. You know, I think it's an intriguing draft class for them. It's weird because they, more than anyone, have been calling for the firing of Bruce Allen and that whole regime. And, you know, there was all that worry heading into the draft. Like, oh, no, Daniel Snyder is like he has even more influence than ever this year. Like He's going to step in and take control. Uh, that's, I guess, ultimately why I'm still not afraid of Washington because Daniel right. Snyder is there. And I feel like they're not going to be some kind of championship team 
Now, with that said, I still think they can be solid. And and Jay Gruden, I think, is you know not a bad coach. I think he's at least a solid coach. Yeah. Um, so I'm not like shaking in my boots at Washington overall, but they're not like a non-factor. Like to me, they're clearly above the Giants, and like they could give the Eagles a challenge this year. So that's kind of where I'm at with them. And as much as anything for them, they reinvigorated the fan base a little bit by getting a young quarterback that you can dream on as being a franchise quarterback moving forward. So uh, that much was good for Washington. As far as the Dallas Cowboys, they had no first round pick BLG. That, of course, uh, went to the Raiders in the Amari Cooper deal. Uh, Their first pick was Tristan Hill, kind of a a character issue guy, but a a pretty talented defensive tackle from UCF. They had uh, four other picks after that. Um, What did you make of Dallas's draft? I thought it was kind of in between. Yeah, they didn't really do a whole lot that really impressed me as a whole. Um, I think Tristan Hill could be is a good pick for them in terms of what they need and and um, just what he could potentially bring for them. But again, there's some kind of concerns there, I guess, about his quote unquote football character, like effort and things like that. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, the Tony Pollard pick scares me a little bit just because I think that's a really nice compliment to Zeke, you know, to have this kind of pass catching running back because previously. You know, if Zeke wasn't in the game, it was like Rod Smith or, you know, whatever generic backup running back the Cowboys had who just wasn't really scaring you at all. Um, So now that, you know, they kind of have that different element in the backfield along with Zeke. Like, don't love them having that now. Uh, So that's kind of something that to concern about. (laughs) And obviously, like when you're talking about the Cowboys draft, you kind of have to weigh in that they did trade the first for Amari Cooper, who was stellar for them in the second half of last year. I think that's the biggest thing with Dallas as a whole, not just talking about the draft, is uh, this is a kind of a key time for them. Like they're at a cross, I don't know if it's a crossroads is the right term, but they're they're at an important decision making point in their team building where they have to pay a lot of these guys money, and that's I feel like usually a good problem to have, you know, you, as opposed to not having any good players who you want to pay money, but. I guess they, they can't necessarily spend on everyone, right? Like there is a salary cap. They're going to have to find a way to fit all these guys in or potentially lose some. And I think, you know, they're going to be committing a lot of money to a quarterback who I think ultimately isn't good enough to carry them on his own and really needs all of that help around him in Dak Prescott. So I think they're at an interesting point where they are as a team. And it's going to be interesting to see how these contracts get doled out, like these extensions for Dak and for Byron Jones and for Amari Cooper, uh, who they use that first round pick on this year. And, you know, Cowboys fans will always talk about how young he is and it's a valid point. So, but it's not the same thing as drafting him because, you know, you're going to have to pay him a lot of money now, as opposed to if you drafted a really good wide receiver in the first round, he would have been pretty cheap for the next four or five years. So, you know, that's the downside of that trade for them. And they're just going to have to make some tough decisions, I think, in terms of their contract. So overall, you know, I think the Cowboys are still the biggest threat to the Eagles in the NFC East. They obviously beat the Eagles twice last year, although, you know, one of those games, I think the Eagles easily could have won, if not for some horrible officiating. It'll be a tough division still in the sense that I don't think the Cowboys are, you know, going away right now. And I think Washington might be better with this draft and, and maybe even if not so much this year, you know, the future is obviously a little bit brighter for them than it was looking certainly before this draft and this offseason as a whole it, with the quarter, just the, because of the quarterback situation alone, not because they still have Dan Snyder. And then the Giants are still the Giants to me. Like, I think the Eagles should roll them twice a year as they always do. Well, up next, we're going to just go over real quickly some of the undrafted free agent signings the Eagles made, including one linebacker who I think has a terrific chance of making the team. We'll talk about Carson Wentz's fifth-year option and some other potential free agents that have to do with a date and time uh, coming up this month that could be a big, a key one for the Eagles. That's all up next here on BGN Radio. And we're back on BGN Radio. So BLG, uh, they only had the Eagles only had five draft picks this year, but obviously uh, they were hoping to make up for that with some good undrafted free agent signings. And you know, I think we get excited about undrafted free agent signings every once in a while. There's some names that pop up that are interesting, but obviously there's a reason these guys didn't get drafted. But you also get guys like Corey Clement who pop up and are much better than anyone expected them to be. And that, that's not, that doesn't happen infrequently for teams. We, we see undrafted free agents make an impact at the NFL. Um, it's not every team every year, but it's, it's not unusual either. And I think the, the guy that everybody thinks has the best chance of, of making the team or having the, the biggest impact is TJ Edwards, linebacker from Wisconsin. He was projected as a fifth, sixth rounder in a lot of drafts. And 
you know, as far as the Eagles are concerned, I still think linebacker is a big area of weakness. I know they've got Nigel Bradham. I know they signed LJ Fort. Uh, they have Kamu Gruja Hill. But I still think that this is an area where they needed an infusion of talent. I'm not sure how good TJ Edwards is. Obviously, there's a reason he didn't get picked in the fifth or sixth round like he was projected to. But just looking at what's on the roster already, I know the Eagles don't play a lot of three linebacker sets. I still think he has a pretty good shot of making the team. What did you make of the Edwards signing? And uh, are there any other undrafted free agents that you thought were interesting? Yeah, the Edwards signing is almost like the Corey Clement signing back in 2017. Funny enough, they're both from Wisconsin. Yeah. Where, like, you know, the Eagles left the 2017 NFL draft with just Donnell Pumphrey. And, like, it didn't feel enough. Like, it didn't feel like the Eagles dra- adra- uh, addressed the running back position enough, even though they traded up in the fourth to get him. And then they got Corey Clement, and it was like, okay, you know, this isn't – it's not like, oh, everything's solved now. But it's just kind of like, okay, we, we address it a little bit more. That's cool. And I think it's the same thing with Edwards. It's like, okay, the Eagles didn't address linebacker in the draft at all. Now we have Edwards in here. He has a chance to make the team and probably isn't going to be some superstar by any means, but he could potentially come in, be a role player, help out on special teams, or at the very least kind of just give this team more depth at that position. So I like it. You know, I think it's solid. You look at his profile and he's not going to, it's not like he's the super high upside guy as much as he might be a player who's a little bit more ready to play now and he kind of is what he is. He doesn't necessarily have all this potential, but he can kind of come in, kind of give this team some value immediately. So that's the kind of hope with him. And, you know, we've seen Eagles undrafted free agents have some significant roles in these past couple of years. You look at Corey Clement, obviously, is a big example. You look at um, some more, you look at last year. You know, Bruce Hector ultimately made the team and he played some, although not ideal. And then Josh Adams, also, again, not necessarily ideal that he had to become the, the lead running back late in the season, but he still was able to come in and make an impact. So you know, we could easily see that with an Edwards or one of these interior offensive linemen, like uh, uh, Ryan Bates from Penn State. The Eagles also reportedly signed an undrafted free agency. So I'm not surprised, or I won't be shocked if they kind of find someone who can at least contribute in some form, which would be nice, especially because you only have five draft picks. It would be nice to hit an undrafted free agency. And I almost wonder really when they're talking to these undrafted free agents, if that's kind of a sell for them, like, Hey, we only had five draft picks. So it's not like you're coming in here to compete with a bunch of other, you know, rookies that were drafted ahead of you. Like you have a chance to come in here and make the team. And I hope that's what happens with a guy like Edwards. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, Carson Wentz here, BLG. What would a BGN radio podcast be without a little Carson Wentz chatter? But we actually had some news this week as the Eagles, to no surprise, uh, picked up his uh, the fifth year on his rookie deal. It's going to be worth $22.7 million. Of course, it's not guaranteed. The Eagles could still cut him after the 2019 season with no dead cap money. But uh, his deal now runs through the 2020 season. I you know, the, And the thinking, I guess the question is, does signing the fifth year deal now mean that there won't be a contract extension this offseason? Does it lessen the likelihood of a contract extension this offseason, or is that still in play? This was just kind of a formality. It's a formality. I don't think it decreases the chance at all. I think, if I'm not mistaken, back in 2016, the Eagles exercised Fletcher Cox's fifth-year option by the the deadline, which is like early May, and they ultimately re-signed him to a big deal in uh, June. So like a month later or so. So I think that's potentially exactly what's going to happen with Carson Wentz. And really, if I want to call my shot, I think it's going to happen sometime between June 16th and June 30th because I'm going to be traveling during that time. And I just know it's going to happen (laughs) during that time, which is usually a slow time. And there's nothing really else going on because that's kind of what happened with Fletcher Cox a couple years ago. So I really feel like it's going to happen in that window. (laughs) But we'll see. We've talked about it. Ad nauseum on the podcast, I think the Eagles really want to sign Carson to an extension. I think Carson is really not going to be rushing into that by any means. But there has to be a number where he doesn't want to wait, right? Like th- There has to be some kind of price where like he looks at it and is like, this is too good to pass up. Because even though I'm betting on myself and I believe in myself, you know, I have been hurt. And this is t- like really good value and I shouldn't turn this down. So I think that's what the Eagles kind of need to do, try to find that number where they can get Carson to agree to it. Because while everyone's going to be probably complaining, and not necessarily everyone, but people will be complaining about how it's a lot of money and how it's going to hamstring the team, blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, you're going to be thankful for it 
especially if Carson Wentz works out, because we'll be looking at more quarterback contracts that got that get handed out in these next couple of years, and they're going to be even more than Carson Wentz will be getting paid if Carson gets paid this year. And we'll look back and be like, wow, it was a good thing the Eagles got that deal done when they did, because if they waited, we, they would have had to pay him, I don't know, $45 million instead of 30 something or whatever the rate is going to be for him. So hopefully they can get it done sooner than later. Right. And you mentioned that this is probably the last year that they can get away with drafting only five players because you're not paying Carson Wentz much. You can afford to pay more uh, at the wide receiver position, at uh, on, along the defensive line in terms of free agency and trades because you're not paying a lot of money to Carson Wentz uh, just yet. But that's one of the reasons why May 8th is such an important date. I know you wrote about this for BleedingGreenNation.com today, BLG. And it all the, the date May 8th has to do with draft picks. It has to do with securing more draft picks for the future, which ties into Carson Wentz's money, which ties into what the Eagles can do in future free agency. Tell people a little bit about why May 8th is such an important date for the Eagles and why we could see another flurry of activity around that time. Yeah, I feel like it's such a nerdy thing to talk about, like compensatory picks. Because I it's think a Eagles, lot of people. Yeah, who, it's an Eagles podcast. We're nerds. That's what it's all about. The people, li- the good listeners, the, I mean, are nerds this, with us. This is the right platform. Um, but for some people who just like kind of want to enjoy things at a normal level and be kind of like a normal human being and <laughs> and and not have to like uh, worry over this stuff frenetically, I get it. Like I don't blame any of you. I just think it's confusing if you don't really know what's all going on. Because like when I first got into this too, I was like. What? What is all this? So, compensatory picks. The fact that the Eagles can sign players now after May 7th, so as soon as May 8th, and not have it count against their compensatory pick formula is good because it means the Eagles can add maybe a player like Ezekiel Ansah, who is out there, and add him to the pass rush rotation and not not having to worry about signing him, canceling out one of those picks the Eagles are set to receive. So, that's the good news. The bad news, though, is that... The Eagles free agents who are still out there, such as Jay Ajayi or Stefan Wisniewski, they will not be able to count for the Eagles' compensatory pick formula, which means right now, you know, the Eagles are only currently projected to receive a third for Nick Foles and a fourth for Golden Tate. The fourth for Jordan Hicks is currently being canceled out by either Andrew Sandejo or LJ Fort, depending on how you look at it, either one of them. So it kind of creates an interesting situation, I think, for the Eagles, where there's actually this rarely... Now, see, this is where it's getting a little bit crazy, (laughs) so buckle yourselves in. There's actually this provision called the June 1st tender. It's in the CBA. The Patriots used it a couple years ago on the Garrett Blunt. Now, the name is already stupid, because it's not June 1st anymore. This deadline is by May 8th. So that it's already... The name doesn't even make sense for it. It used to be June 1st. Anyway... The Eagles can use this seldom-used tender that the Patriots used on Blunt back in 2017, where my understanding is you you have to give the player at least 110% of their previous year's salary for this tender. And by doing this, you basically make it so that, okay, if this player signs the deal, then, okay, you have them. Like, they sign the deal, you got them. They're on your team. If they don't sign it, they're still like they can still negotiate with other teams, just like Garrett Blount obviously did, because he ultimately chose the Eagles. And that way, if that player gets signed by another team, he still counts for your compensatory pick formula because you use this tender on him. So it kind of extends past that May eighth cutoff point. Mm-hmm. So I almost wonder if the Eagles will do that with Stefan Wisniewski because I don't think the money would be crazy. They'd only be giving him like $2.75 million if I have this correct, which I'm not sure if I do because it's very complicated. But either they bring Wiz back, which I don't think he wants to be back, so I don't think he would sign the tender. I think he would eventually get an offer from a team who would sign him, and then ultimately he would count towards the Eagles formula, which would be big because they would get a fourth-round pick essentially if that happened, the pick for Hicks. like It would free that one up. So kind of hoping that happens or maybe they do that with Ajayi. I, th- I just I guess I felt like that would be less likely just because I, I guess Ajayi wouldn't sign it because he knows there's no room right. for him here anymore right. and I literally just gave out his number to Miles Sanders. So <laughs> right. but I just like you don't want to be in that situation where he did sign it and now you're kind of just like stuck with him. So I'll be interested to see if the Eagles use that. Uh they have to do something here. Like we know they're going to do something to get that fourth round pick. Like they have to because you you don't just pass up on getting a fourth round pick, especially like if, if the alternative is you try to use one of those tenders or you end up cutting LJ Fort or Sendejo, mm-hmm. 
to ultimately try to save that pick because it's too valuable. It's a, it's a fourth round pick. Like that's not nothing, right? Especially if the alternative again isn't going to be like this this big cost. So I'm kind of interested to see what's going to be happening next week if we see those tenders get handed out. If we see some signings, I imagine we will at some level. I feel like the Eagles are going to add someone. I don't know if it'll be exciting or high profile, but there still are some guys out there in free agency. And um, I just think it's it's possible that they do. And on that note, by the way, John, I wanted to mention that Blake Countess, former Eagles draft pick in 2016, he was a six-round pick out of mm-hmm. Auburn, he just got cut by the Rams today. He's going to be placed on waivers. And I would almost wonder if the Eagles will put a claim in on him and bring him back. Because if you can get him, first of all, he won't count towards the comp pick formula because you're claiming him in waivers as opposed right. to like signing him as a free agent. Uh, and he was cut, obviously. You could get him. He could potentially be your Chris Maragos he could, or your Corey Graham kind of player. Helps on special teams. Serves as some depth. Also can return kicks. So that's another one to watch out for. So the whole gist of this very long rambling rant that I'm going on <laughs> is we can see some action. Like we could see some more roster moves coming next week. So that would be exciting if that happens. Yeah, give us something else to talk about here on uh, episode 51 of the podcast uh, next week. That would be pretty good. And there are some uh, some potential players who um, could get signed if they don't get signed before then. And I don't think it seems like teams now would, I can't imagine a team would want to go out and sign a guy like Ezekiel Ansah now or Derek Morgan or somebody like that, or another safety that might be out there. If it's not Blake Countess or something like that, that, you know, knowing that this date is hanging out there, what, why would you sign one of those guys now? Just you wait until that date. And then, you know, that those are some of the names out there that I think have been linked to the Eagles a little bit here as they do. They probably still could look for a little help along the defensive line and linebacker or safety or something like that. Address some of the areas that they weren't able to address during the draft. So BLG, uh, in addition to, uh, into that to that May 8th date as we're looking ahead here for the Eagles. Um, as we wrap up this episode of the podcast, let's talk a little bit about what's going to be up here the next uh, couple of weeks, next few months here on BGN Radio. The things are going to be following on BleedingGreenNation.com as we uh, wind down the draft talk and uh, we go through some of the offseason activities and as we gear up for training camp. Yeah, so this is kind of a nice time of year. I feel like this to, to settle in after the NFL draft, the all that hype that goes into that leading up to April um, you kind of just come off of that, and now you're kind of just excited to actually see what the start of the 2019 team is going to look like. So we're going to have OTAs coming up later this month. I believe 21st will be the first one that – I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing based on past years, it should be around then where it will be the first OTA practice open to the media. So I'll be there. We'll get to see all the Eagles players practicing and working out. And obviously there's no pads. There's no contact. Uh, it's not the most competitive atmosphere, but still, it's nice to see how the players are doing. And even though OTA observations, I feel like, can kind of be meaningless sometimes because you look at a Devontae Bosby who killed OTAs last year, you know, that ended up meaning nothing. I still think it could be something where, like, if a player is having a great spring and then they carry that over into training camp and they sustain it, unlike Bosby, uh, I think that can, you know, kind of just be a nice thing to see. Hopefully, we see some of the younger players step up in that regard, like Derek Barnett. Uh, or you know whoever uh, Miles Sanders rookie just you know some guys who are unproven on this roster to actually step up would be really nice. So we'll have OTAs coming up, and that'll kind of take us through to May. We have mandatory training uh, mini camp, I should say, where the players actually have to be there for three days in June. I think that's the 11th, 12th, and 13th. So we'll have those things coming up. Of course, I passed right by rookie mini camp, which is actually the the next closest thing coming up here. That is on the 10th starting next Friday, and the Eagles will be bringing in their five draft picks along with their undrafted free agent signings, which probably, by the way, is around when they officially, uh, they finally officially announce those. Uh, it's kind of annoying that we have to wait a couple of weeks for that to happen, but usually the Eagles, you know, all these rumors come out after, right after the draft about who these players that, you know, they're going to sign as undrafted free agents, but they don't really confirm it until rookie minicamp begins, so that'll be late next week, and also have a bunch of tryout players at um, that mini camp too, a bunch of rookies who weren't drafted and probably won't have NFL careers, but you never know. Last year, the Eagles signed that Tim Wilson guy from East Stroudsburg after he had a good tryout. So we'll see how that goes. Um, so yeah, so we're kind of just really wrapping things up here. It's kind of like uh, you're heading into your final months of your, your final semester or your final months of school. Like you're, you're, you can see the, mm-hmm. the end of the tunnel is in sight. We'll have these practices and that'll be fun. And then before you know it, the final minicamp practice will be here on the 13th. 
And then after that, we won't hear from the Eagles really at all, barring something going something wrong because it's like that off time until training camp begins in late July. So we're winding down here. The draft is over. We got OTs and stuff coming up. Before you know it, like I said, it'll just be nothing. So let's enjoy this time where we have some content still now. And uh, yeah. Well, we'll be with you throughout the summer. Even if there's not a whole lot going on, we'll find some good stuff to talk about here on BGN Radio, as well as on the Kiston Solak Show and all the other shows you get as part of the Bleeding Green Nation podcast family. Just a reminder, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already subscribe. But if you don't, uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. If you haven't left a five-star rating uh, or a review for the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed, we would ask you to do that. Um, That would help us out a lot. And um, again, make sure that you tell a friend about Bleeding Green Nation's podcast feed. If they don't know about about us and their big Eagles fans, uh, tell a friend, put it on their phone for them, for crying out loud. Steal their phone, put us on their on their podcast uh, uh, apparatus, whatever phone it is they happen to be using, and get them hooked up with BGN Radio, the Kiston Solak Show. And uh, don't forget to check out BleedingGreenNation.com. Uh, every single day, we've got a ton of new content up there every day as well. That'll do it for episode number 50. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you all next time right here on BGN Radio. Been a little too nice to y'all. I got a up price on y'all. Snake eyes on dice for y'all. Shoulders on ice for y'all. Frozen. A6 all the hay. I won't get involved today. Got lost in the ball and A's. I'm flipping the balls and flipping the ball. P-G-N. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.